0: Come in agreement, your word says where two of us or more of us are gathered in your name you 're there with us in our presence, so we know you 're here with us. we know that your eyes are on us this morning, that your ears are open to us, and your heart is open to hear what we ask and to, and to do it for us. So first of all, Father, we thank you for those men and women that paid for our freedom way even way back. the Revolutionary War, right up to those that may have even given some their lives in recent days, defending the freedom of this nation and standing up for the freedom of other nations. We pray, Father, for them, and we honor them today and remember them today. Father, we pray for this nation that's in such danger and such struggle right now A nation that could not be toppled from the outside, but it's threatened from the inside. Father, we pray and we remind you that this is a nation that has defended the weak, that has spilled the blood of their children, sons and daughters, on foreign shores to save and redeem and to, to, to bring freedom to those whose freedom was threatened. And then we've clothed and fed and blessed our enemies that we defeated. Father, these are godly principles, and you have protected this nation because of that. But now we're in a great time of need. And so we put you in remembrance of what this nation has done and how this nation has taken the gospel and brought it around the world. And we remind you that we are now in danger, and so we plead for your mercy. We pray for your spirit to move in this nation upon your people and to awaken us as the people of God to why we're here and what we're here to do. We ask you to awaken us to the struggles and the strife that we've had with one another and how you see them and we put them aside so that we may get about doing what you've put us here to do. And Father, we just pray for your mercy and grace. We pray pray for the families that have lost their children having sent them to security of a school place we pray for these families father there's nothing we can do to give them comfort but you are the comforter and you can bring comfort and you can bring strength and you can bring peace And we pray for that. We pray for the children and the families whose children survived this massacre and forever will have embedded in their memory the pictures and horrible things that they saw. We pray for you to bring healing to those little minds and hearts. pray for you to bring healing to those parents and grandparents and families we pray for this community that's devastated by what's happened in their searching for what to do and how to express their pain and their anger and their frustration and help us as the body of Christ, help us as a nation to come along beside them and to comfort them. Father, we're aware today that our president is going and he's going to attempt to bring comfort and regardless of what people may think of him regardless of what judgments they may have of him we pray father that today he would have the grace and the the anointing to bring comfort to those families father heal us heal us heal us And we pray, Father, today for the words that you've given me and the things you put in my heart, that as they're brought forth, they will help give us comfort, strength, and direction. And for these things, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Sometimes when we're looking at overwhelming things like this, we wonder, what can we do? And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um. I'm going to ask my wife to come up here, my beautiful wife, of 55 years. And we're going to have a, well, they're going to have a tea party this Saturday, and she's going to tell you a little bit about it, encourage you about
1: something. Thank you, Lord, that we can feel and be like Christ. Sorry, that really got me. Um, That we have the joy of the Lord. We have the peace of God. The past is all understanding. But in the world, you can't have that. There is no other God like ours. And the Holy Spirit and we are so thankful, so blessed. And um, we're going to have a tea party. It's been in the minds and hearts of a few of us women for a year or so, and the pastor's wives. And it's going to be a great time together, together, next Saturday on the 4th at 10.30. Are you sure? Okay. It changed. I changed. I got the wrong message, I guess. I'm so sorry. It does say that, right? I don't have my glasses on. 10 a.m.? Okay. 10 a.m. till 11.30. That's it. Because it's a busy weekend. So please be prompt, because we'll want to get started. And it's called Tea and Testimony which is really exciting because you may not have it in the front of your mind right now, but God's always working to give you chances, opportunities to reach out to others and just to show the love, a smile, caring to people who could be really hurting, who you have no idea their story. So... We have some ladies in the church that are going to testify and tell something special that God's done for them because you can all probably think of something. And I we've failed to let you know that you need to bring your own special teacup. If you have it, a teacup and saucer that may be very special to you that you may have in your curio cupboard or something that means something to you. Um, and, and that will be a great thing. And then we'll be pouring tea and having scones. Some good scones. So it'll really be a nice time together. And hear the ladies share. And to um, be together. And you need to register online. Because we could only handle... Uh, so many people, so if you can do that online, then we'll know to expect you. So thank you so much. We'll look forward to seeing you then.
0: (laughs) Handle her with care. Ron. Ron, take that for me. You can't keep the cup. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Uh, One last thing I want to comment on. Uh, The Sunday that we're giving, turning the service over to Children's Grow. um, Those of you that were here a few weeks ago and you saw what our D2 elders could do. they, They did not just... It was not something to display something cute that's going on downstairs. Administer. And I'm expecting that fully on this Sunday that's coming up. So it's tempting sometimes. Well, you know, it's just the children and dismiss it. Well, you'll miss something. Because God moves through children. And we're, I'm expecting God to do some wonderful things. So just want to encourage you to do that. Well, let's get into God's Word. We've already prayed over it. Um, I, there's a message that I, try, I was going to give on Easter and then I felt God had me do something else. And there was a mess. So that I was going to do that same message this Sunday. And I was all excited about it. And then this tragedy happened this week. And, of course, it's not the only tragedy like this we've had over the last few weeks. But this involved children. And I just felt I was watching somebody's response to this. And it triggered something. It set something off in me. And uh, so I want, to, I want to talk about this. The title of the message is Good and Evil, Light and Darkness. And um, I'm just going to share a little bit of a background here, and then I want to get into some teaching on this. Um, I want to address... Oh, by the way, I want to... Uh, the, we had trouble getting the those of you that, that download the notes, and I, I hope you do. That's, I put work into those so that you can have them. There was a little problem getting it up there. They should be up there by now. There was a computer glitch, but we they're up there now. So I encourage you to get them. Um, when I got first saw the headline that nineteen fourth graders and two teachers were slaughtered in a classroom, I, I, it I can't even begin to describe the reaction that I had. It made me sick, and then then it, it just it just made me sick. I couldn't even grasp. My mind around it. Yes. And I want to talk today about the reactions to this that people have. And then I want to talk today about the reaction that God calls us to have. And talk a little bit about that this morning. The reactions that I felt but I saw others feel were shock, grief, hurt, anger, frustration, and other things. And although most of those seem appropriate at the time, they almost never produce change. And that's what I want to talk about. The human reaction. We're designed, as we're learning this and renewing the mind, God designed our mind to try to find meaning out of things. And especially when a tragedy happens. I've had the, I've had the, um, the responsibility to, to minister at the funeral of a number of young people that were taken out at an age when they never should have under tragic situations. And it's forced me to kind of to, to, to look for some understanding about how we process that. Now, it's different when it's several thousand miles away, but it impacts us. And our mind is designed to try to find meaning out of things, whatever we encounter. And if we can't find meaning, we'll create our meaning. Because we have to have some meaning out of this, because it what makes us feel safe and secure. I'll give you an example. Now, I don't know if I've... If when I've heard that somebody has suddenly died or died, one of the first questions I used to ask was, how old are they? And, and I, I, I caught myself, why, why, am I, why do I want to know how old they are? Because if they're at an age, and I'm finding that age keeps creeping up the older I get, at they're at an age as well. That's it's not. I mean, we don't want to lose them. We're sorry they're gone, but if they die at a certain age, it's it's like that happens. So that doesn't bring some immediate threat to me. When someone dies in their twenties and their thirties, someone dies in their ten. How do we compute that? into these formulas that our brains come up with to give us. Because when we can't find meaning, when it doesn't fit into the way things ought to be, it threatens us. It gives us this impression that we may not be in control. And I have news for you. We're not. And that threatens us. And so our reaction and response to these things is almost always filtered through this desire, this need... To find some kind of meaning, some kind of significance, or some kind of outlet for what has happened. When things appear out of control or our understanding, we become anxious, and very often we become anxious, we either become turn inward and become afraid and withdraw, or we become angry. So when the reasons are not clear or apparent, sometimes we create them. So I want to talk about some of the reactions that I've seen, and then I want to talk about what our reaction should be. These are things I've observed. One of the things I've observed is anger. I mean, obviously we've seen grief. I'll talk about that in a minute. I've I've seen anger. And why? Because we often look for someone, some group, some institution on which to direct our anger. Because somehow if we can get angry at somebody and take it out on somebody, that helps us feel better or more secure. So I've seen anger expressed at the police and how they responded. There's anger out there at the NRA and their opposition to gun control, and I'm not getting into that issue right now. And there may be justification for some of that anger. I'm sure there are some people even today that are angry at God. Maybe some of you. You may not want to admit it in church, but maybe we're angry at God because how could, how could, you, let, how could you let this happen? How could you allow innocent people to be slaughtered? Now, some of you have been around long enough, you know not to say that because you know there's a theological, biblical answer to that, but we may feel that inside. God, how could you, how could you let that happen? Well, the disciples had that experience. Remember there, Jesus said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side? And they get in the boat, and he's tired, so he does what you should do when you're tired. He curls up on a pillow and goes to sleep, and a terrible storm comes, and these men that lived out on that water, on that boat most likely, are afraid for their life. And so what do they do? They turn to the Lord, which was a smart thing to do, and they wake him up. Why? And then they're angry at him. Why? Because don't you care about us? So in their understanding, Jesus was sleeping While they were in a crisis. Have you ever felt like he was asleep in the crisis that you've gone through? Because he wasn't responding? Pastor Michael's talked about this. I've talked about this. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. He's the only one in the boat that believed they were going to make it. So he could rest. Faith rests. Then there's a story of when Jesus is teaching somewhere and he gets word that his good friend Lazarus in Bethany is very sick and, and, and is at the edge of death and he stays there four more days <laughs> and he shows up too late and his friend is in the tomb and the sisters, Mary and Martha, separately come out to talk to him and, and they're angry at him, they're frustrated. They said, Master, if you... because they'd sent word to him and he didn't come. Now doesn't that look unfeeling? Jesus gets word, your dear friend is about to die. And he says, I think we'll stay here a few more days. Now, why did he do that? Because Jesus, this is a side issue, side message, but you need to listen to it. Jesus was not led by emergencies. See, when you're led by emergencies, the one who creates the emergency is leading and directing your life. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And undoubtedly, the Holy Spirit told him not to go yet. And Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit, regardless of what his own emotions may have been like. So he gets there, and Mary and Martha separately come out to him and say, Master, you can imagine the frustration. Master, if you had just been here when we asked you to come, our brother would be alive. So they were angry. It looked like he failed them. He let them down. And of course, within a few minutes, he gave their brother back to them. So anger is one of the reactions. Fear is a common reaction. And the fear is that if it can happen there, it can happen here. We've had shootings in churches just one not too long ago. Shootings in churches. In, in uh, shopping centers, sh- shootings in grocery stores. It's almost, I said the other night, <laughs> Jesus said, you know, you'll know the time is there when you hear wars and rumors of wars. I assumed those were national wars. They're wars in our shopping centers. Yeah. Yeah. They're wars here. There's a war right here. So fear is a reaction that we can have. But the one that triggered this message in my heart is the reaction of frustration, which is often mixed with anger. I was triggered by a little clip that I saw, actually one of my sons posted it, and then I saw it later on, of an NBA coach. And some of you may have seen it. And he's, he's teared up, and he's, he doesn't know what to do. You can see its frustration. And he's pounding the table at this interview, undoubtedly about a game, and all he can say is, we, we must do something. We must do something. We have to do something. Why? Why does that frustration build up to the point that a professional NBA coach could almost lose his cool? Well, we've seen society lose its cool over things like this. It comes from witnessing, listen carefully, this frustration builds up from witnessing something terrible, an evil, a tragedy, or injustice, we've seen this, which is seemingly beyond our control, and we're frustrated because there's nothing seems to be changing. It seems out of our control, and we ought to be able to do something about this, and nothing's changing. These reactions aren't limited to acts of violence, but they're also... I've seen them and experienced them with racial injustice and the neglecting of the poor and anything else in our society that grieves us, that we know is wrong and it seems to be getting worse and whatever we try doesn't seem to be working. And it can build up frustration. It can build up anger. It can build up fear. But you know what? These are healthy because it shows we're feeling it shows we're touched by something that's wrong. So I'm not criticizing these reactions. But I'm sh- there's healthy signs that people are standing up and saying something's wrong. The problem is the reactions don't produce any change, which leads to more frustration. It's dangerous to see these things and begin to come jaded to them. I'm concerned in myself because when this war in the Ukraine broke out, we saw these statistics of people dying in body bags, and it's almost now, oh, okay. And our hearts begin to get hardened to things. And the danger now is that our hearts begin to get hardened to these kinds of things. But the problem is, when our hearts get hardened, it's also a, response, a reaction to something that's wrong that we don't see anything changing, so we give up. And just accept that that's the way... Things are going to be. The greater danger is we become hardened to these things. I talked a few minutes ago about Jesus coming to Mary and Martha after their brother had died, and, and they're angry at him. And then Jesus goes over to the tomb, and then it says the shortest one of the, short, the shortest verses: Jesus wept. That verse has always touched me. He knows what he's about to do. He's about to raise him from the dead, but he's so moved by their pain and their hurting and by his own reaction to seeing the pain that their friend's death has brought to his his sisters, that Jesus is moved to tears. He weeps over them. So we should weep with those that weep. We should hurt with those that hurt. But they're not usually productive. They don't produce change. So as I watched this NBA coach, in his utter frustration, pounding the table, saying, we must do something. The words that rose up in me is the basis for this message. The words were, what can you do? I know you're frustrated. We want to see something like this end and change. But what can you do to produce that change. There may be some remedial things we can do. We can change some laws, and there's fighting over all that, which I'm not going to get into, but I have my own opinion. I don't under- This is me. Okay, this is Pastor John's own personal opinion. I'll tell you when I give you my opinion and when I'm preaching God's word. I think it's crazy. I understand people want to have the right to carry a gun. Okay. That's fine. But why we need these kinds of guns to carry, I don't understand. Okay? That's, that's me. And you're entitled to disagree with me, and that's fine. But that's So there are things we can do that are remedial. They will do something, but they're not going to solve the problem. Because the problem has to do with the condition of man's heart not the guns that are in their hands. And yes, if it were harder to get guns, that might would make it more difficult, but it's not going to change the hearts of the people that perform these terrible acts or perform these these persecutions, to perform these racial injustices. They all come out of a heart. So as I as these words came out of me and I watched my response was what is it you can do? I felt the Lord speak this to me. He said, These thoughts and these emotions are usually coming from minds that are not connected to God. Now listen carefully. The thoughts and the emotions, in many cases, that are being expressed, and they're legitimate. But they're not producing change because they're not coming out of hearts and minds that are connected to God, His values, His kingdoms, and His purposes. And this will become clear in a minute. As a result, they have no power to produce lasting change because the power to produce change, we sang about it today, the power to produce change comes from God and God alone. Man getting upset about something on his own does not have the power of God behind it to produce the change. They have no power to produce lasting and meaningful change because they cannot change the human heart. Now listen carefully. Listen. We're talking about injustices. We're talking about tragedies. And, and, and what can be done to see a change? So let's go back 2,000 years and more. Jesus is on the earth. God. God in human flesh, is on the earth. He's the only man, he's the only man that was ever completely, purely, morally right. Jesus was right about everything. His heart was pure. In all of these things we see, there may be right, there may be truth, but there's also other elements mixed in, and that's true for you and me. But Jesus, God in the flesh, the only man who was purely, morally pure, morally correct, what did he do? And what did he say? Because he lived in a time where injustice was far worse than it is today. He lived in a time when, when, when people, the vast majority of people, had no rights at all. They were slaves. They were treated as property. He lived at a time and in a place where the people were under the dominion and control of a very cruel nation, the nation of Rome. They ruled with an iron hand. And the nation that ruled them was ruled by an ungodly emperor. So if there was ever a time when there was tragedy, injustice, things going on, it was in the day that Jesus lived, and he's the most moral man that ever lived. So we need to look at what did Jesus do, and what did Jesus say? Because what Jesus did and what Jesus said produced results. You and I are some of the results of what Jesus said and did. What Jesus said and did... Turned the world upside down. Brought change. Because the change he brought was not changed by law, it was changed by changing our nature on the inside. So let's look at what Jesus did and what Jesus said. So, if anyone had a right to react to all of this, Jesus did. But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus do? He said on various occasions, listen carefully, because this is the message, I only do. We're talking about people, we've got to do something. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. And we say all kinds of things, but Jesus said, I only say what I hear my Father say. So here's a man who, if anyone ever would have had a right to express their own opinion, their own ways of doing things, it would have been him, and he did not do that because as God's son, he submitted his will. He submitted his mouth. He submitted his actions completely under the authority of his father. Isn't it interesting? He's also the freest man that ever lived. So, we think freedom means as a result of exercising our independence, not realizing that exercising your independence becomes a form of bondage because you become your own God. And if you're your own God, you're responsible for yourself. That's another message for another day. I want you to hear this. This is so important. Jesus had given up his right to his own opinion. And his own reaction. He was completely consecrated to his father's will, his father's purpose, and his father's program. But what's the result of that? Let's turn to, Matt, to John chapter 5. Why did I lose? What's going on here? John chapter 5. Jesus said, now look at, I want you to see the connection here. Jesus said, I can of myself do nothing. Remember, he's the son of God. (laughs) But he gave that up, Philippians chapter 3. He set aside, when he came to this earth, he set aside all of his divine attributes and walked among the earth as a man at age 30, filled with the Holy Spirit. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, my Father, I judge. And look at the result of this. And because of that, my judgment is righteous, has moral power and authority, because I don't seek my own will, but I seek to do the will of the Father who sent me. Is it possible that the church today has lost its moral authority to speak into our society because we're not doing what he said? I'm getting ahead of myself. Is it possible that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has almost no moral authority into a dark, dying world because we're not committed to only do what Jesus did And only say what Jesus says. As a result, we have churches divided over people's opinions. About mask, no mask. About getting vaccinated, not getting vaccinated. About racial issues, about guns, about abortion. About all these things divide the church. Well, God's not divided. God's not divided over all these things. Jesus' last prayer before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, his last prayer was what? Not that the church would be victorious. Not that the church would prosper. Not that the church would do anything. That the church would be won. Sometimes I wonder if the only one who heard that prayer was Satan. So the point is, his moral authority... Because the people of that day would comment when he would stop speaking and say, Where did he get such authority? He got such authority because he only spoke what God spoke. And he only did what God did. We have to move along. We are his body in the earth. And as such, we have committed ourselves... We'll talk a little bit about this next week for baptism. We have committed ourselves, listen, to, the, to speak and act only as he would. I want you to listen carefully this. If you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, you have given up your right to your own opinion. That went over big. That shows you where we are. If you're a Christian, a real Christian, not just somebody that uses that name and goes to church and says, praise the Lord, hallelujah. If you're a real Christian, you have given up your right to have your own personal opinion. Why? Galatians 2.20. This is our testimony if you're a Christian. I have been crucified with Christ. As a result, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you're a Christian, when you were born again, Christ through the Holy Spirit came to live in you. You were born again. You were brought into union with Christ. There's so many verses in Paul's writing that talks about being in Christ, in Him. That's not just symbolic. If you're a Christian, what makes you a Christian is that you've been joined to Him through the Holy Spirit. And He lives in you, but the question is, is He able to live through you? Jesus trying to get this across to his disciples right before he went to the cross. In John chapter 15, he said, he's trying to give them an image. I am the vine. We would use a tree. And you are the branches. He goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. And yet we want to run out there and change the world without checking in with him. What is it you want? What do I say? What do I do in this situation? Instead, we rush into it having no idea. And in most cases, we're not representing him. We're representing things we've heard. We're representing our opinions. We're representing, and there's a wonder the church has no effectiveness today. If Christ lives in you, then it's his opinion not yours. I set myself every morning by going through this exercise with him. I abide in you, and you abide in me. That means today I have no, I can have no independent relationship with this world because you are in me and I am in you. My only relationship with this world is your relationship with this world. This gets better. I have no independent relationship with any person. The only relationship I have with every person, whether they're a church and Christian or whether they're my neighbor next door or the foulest person I've ever met, my only relationship with them is your relationship in me with them. And my only relationship with God the Father is your relationship with Him in me. It will change how you see yourself. This is real Christianity we're talking about. This is real Christianity. Christianity. Oh, my Lord Jesus. So, we're living in a world that has two contrasts good and evil. And the example the Bible uses is light and darkness. Romans chapter 1. We're living in a world of darkness. Since the creation of the world, its invisible attributes have been seen are clearly seen, but, but in being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and God. So what this is saying is, God designed the world, so His imprint, His handprint is all over this world. Right. Yes. The greatest of that is DNA. But look what he goes on to say. So therefore, they're without excuse. Because the evidence of God's reality, of who He is, is all around us. But they're, so they're without excuse. Verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. We're talking about the world. But became futile, look at this, in their thoughts, and their few, foolish hearts were darkened. So the point here is, we're living in a world that's in darkness. And they're trying to figure out what to do to stop these things from happening. Colossians, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. "...whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, whose image of God, would shine on them." So Satan's the one that enshrouds this world with darkness. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. we We're got to move quickly. "...we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one." Literally in the Greek, "...under the sway of evil." So, why is this happening in the world? Because Satan is the God of this world, and this world is saturated with evil. What's going on behind what's going on is a spiritual reality, a spiritual battle going on. And Satan's anger is being released in the world through people. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. Your spouse is not the problem. It's the God, devil that's trying to use them or use you to get at them. Your, Satan uses people. All right, we have to move along quickly here. What's Jesus' answer? John eight twelve. So they can't figure out what to do because they're looking at it through minds that are enshrouded in darkness, but they don't know they're in darkness. Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light, have the light of life. John 9, 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 12. Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. The world doesn't know where it's going. But they don't know they don't know where they're going. Because they don't know anything else. But Christ came to bring light into the darkness. John John chapter 1. He is the light of the world while he was here. There was no other source of light. Light allows you to see the truth. Light allows you to see what's really going on, what's really there. We have a system of lighting in here, and some of the corner doors have a little button called walk-in, because especially if it's the time of the year when it's darker outside, you can go in here and you can't see anything, and I've... (laughs) I've made the mistake of thinking I know my way in the darkness through here and somebody left something here and I walk right into it with my shins. And I said, Don, you know better than this. That's why there's a button over there that shines light on what's really here. What's really the reality of what's going on. So Jesus came to bring light into the world but the light is in Him. He didn't come to teach truth He didn't come to teach principles of morality. He came to bring the light in Himself into the world. And He told His disciples before the end, I didn't come to teach you truth. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. There is no light in this world apart from Christ. Because that light can only come from God. So what does this mean for us? What are we called to do? Matthew 5... Fourteen. Jesus says to his disciples, All right, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I an example of this yesterday. We didn't get to go on our vacation because of something called COVID a few weeks ago, month ago. So we took a couple of days the end of this week and went away. And we're getting ready to come home yesterday and we're having breakfast. And this woman's waiting on us and she she just looked like she was struggling. I don't know what she was going through. And and normally I just say, you know, have a nice day and how are you doing? But I knew I was impressed on me to just ask her a question. And when she came by, I said, can I ask you a question? What's your, what's your day been like? It's amazing when you ask people and you just ignore them. And she said, well, it's, it's been busy, but it's okay. And I felt, I felt unopened to go another place. I said, can we pray for you for anything? And I said, I'm a pastor, which just meant she would think I had a, a special insight to God, which doesn't mean I do, but it would help her. And her face lit up. She says, yeah, I have liver cancer. And I just grabbed her hands. I said, I want to pray for you right now. And she grabbed her other hand. And we just prayed a simple prayer. And I reminded God, you said, we are to go into the world and we'll pray to the sick and they will recover. Our job is to pray for her. Your job is for her to recover. And she went away and she came back. I said, now, you've got to believe that. You know, God's working in you to do this. And I said, do you know Jesus? And she said, yes. I said, he loves you. And her face it began to glow. She she experienced some light. You know, sometimes we can just give somebody just a smile. Give light away in a world that's dark. Ephesians five eight. Says you were once darkness, now walk as children of the light. Your light look look at this. You were once darkness, but now Funny, as many times as I've read that, I didn't see it until this morning. You were once darkness, but now you are light all by yourself. No, you are light in the Lord. It's the Lord's light in you. Jesus is the light of the world, and he lives in you, so his light can only shine into this world as it shines through you. Walk, that means conduct your life, as children of the light. 1 John 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought to also walk just as he walked. Brethren, I don't write a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. A new commandment I write to you which is true in him and in you because, this is John writing, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he's in the light, uh uh-oh, and hates his brother, is in darkness until now. That's not talking about your brother and sister in Christ. It's talking about other human beings. And so what does the church do? when there's some big movement or some big uh, gay pride event or something like that, we show our anger at them. I saw a quote by somebody. I saw this pastor was asked, what is it that grieves your heart when you get up in the morning as a pastor? Expecting some social issue or something like that. He said, what grieves my heart is when I see children of God react in judgment in the world when we're here to be a light into this world. He says, you know what it's like? It's like getting mad at a blind man because he stepped on your toes. The world's blind. They have no idea what they're doing. Jesus said so. But we do. And we get sucked into side issues and issues that are not what we're here for. To do, We're here to shine His light out of our heart into a dark world. And what is His light? It's the love. It's the truth. I've begun to re re-read a book I read years ago. We started a small group on it and then COVID hit in his steps. I'll talk more about that down the road. And the simple question is, in every situation of life, I'm going to ask myself, what would Jesus do here? What would Jesus respond Am I only saying what Jesus would say in this situation? Am I only doing what Jesus would do? Because to the extent I'm saying what I want to say or doing what I want to do, his light can't shine through me. So if I'm in anger with my brother, then I'm walking in darkness. A Christian can walk in darkness. If he's walking in anger, unforgiveness, strife. You're walking in darkness because who is the God of darkness? Who is the God of strife? It's Satan. So what light is shining through you? It's it's putting out the lamp that's in you. He who loves his brother abides in light and there's no cause of stumbling in him. Jesus told his disciples... In Acts chapter one, after he trained them, been raised from the dead, he says, and he's given them a commission. He said, "Before you go, you need to wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high, and then you shall be witnesses of me—not of the church, not of Christian doctrine, not of moral principles. You shall be witnesses of me. I will be able to work through you. I will be able to speak through you." I will be able to touch people through you. I will be able to shine my light through you. And we'll end with Acts 26. This is Paul's testimony before King Agrippa. And he's just, he's just told Agrippa the story of how he was converted. He was on his horse on the way to Damascus with letters giving him authority to arrest the Christians in Damascus and bring them back to be persecuted and, and possibly executed. And on that road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him in the blinding light. He's knocked off his horse by that blinding light. And Jesus says these words, they're so profound. Jesus does not say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you going to persecute my church? Why are you trying to stop my program? Why are you interfering with what I want to do? He says, no, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Me, because Jesus sees you and me. Jesus sees the church as himself on the earth. And the question is, do we see ourselves as Christ in whatever situation you're facing? And then he went on to say this. Christ commissioned him to go to the Gentiles, listen to this, to open their eyes, this is our commission, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Paul says, you can be operating in all the spiritual gifts you want to overflowing, but if it's not motivated by me, by love, it counts as nothing. And I'll end with this story. We're talking about bringing change into this world, but you and I can't do it. The government can't do it because there's no moral authority. The only moral authority is God's moral authority through Christ, through the church, but we can't exercise it if we're operating counter to it by strife, fear, and all the other things that Satan uses to divide us. Years and years ago, there was a pastor named David Wilkerson who went from a prosperous community to the streets of New York to witness to gangs. And there was a gang there He began to witness to this leader, the man's name was Nicky Cruz. And he'd witness to him and witness to him and witness to him and witness to him. And, to him. and, and, he, and this was a was So proud, he was so angry at one point because he wouldn't stop being around him. He wouldn't stop loving him. And Nicky Cruz said, If you don't leave me alone, I'm going to cut you into a thousand pieces. And David, he had the ability to do it. David Wilkerson said, If you do that, every piece you cut was going to love you with the love of Christ. And that love broke that gang leader. Broke him. The only thing that can break men's heart, the only thing that can break the darkness is the one thing Satan can't stop and that's this kind of love for people. That's what trapped him. He had no idea that God would come and lay his life down for such as you and me. And so he fell into a trap on that cross. It didn't just change that man, Nicky Cruz. He founded an amazing ministry called Teen Challenge, which has touched and changed the lives of untold thousands of people because one man stood to somebody who was evil personified, pride. And instead of reacting to him from his own perspective, he opened his heart and allowed Christ to love that man, the power of that light, of that truth, and of that love. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and as we prayed at the beginning, you have placed us in this world of darkness at such a time as this. And Satan worked so hard to draw us into fear, and to draw us into strife, and to draw us into all these things to take away from us the testimony that is only yours. So, Father, we ask you to forgive your church, to forgive us. We ask you to to strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man, with might, with power, by the Holy Spirit, so that Christ might dwell in our hearts by faith. And that being rooted and grounded in His love, we might come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding that we may be filled with all of your fullness. Father, as overwhelming as that may seem, your promises that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us through your Spirit. Amen. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never you've never received this Christ. Maybe you are watching online. You've been in church. That's where I was. I was raised in church. I was taught from as a little boy that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on Easter. He was died and on Easter he was raised from the dead to pay for our sins and that was wonderful. I grew up believing that. But I never, I never received him into my life, into my heart. So he may, it didn't make any difference in me that I believed it with my mind. Because Jesus said, if you believe with your heart, salvation comes as you believe in your heart that Christ is the Son of God. And then you, you're with your heart, you receive him. He's a gift from God to you. He paid for your sins already, but it only does you good if you receive this gift of Christ. So if that's you this morning, you're here, you're watching online, I want to help you do that by leading you in a very simple prayer. And what, what you mean by doing this is you're receiving him in your life as your Savior, but you're going to turn your life over to him to let him be Lord over your life. It's the beginning of a journey. So if that's you here this morning watching online, I'm going to ask you to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything i ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now. And I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you're watching online and you prayed that for the first time and you meant it, or maybe you were making a recommitment of your life to Christ, here's what you need to do. There's a phone number at the bottom of your screen. If you call that number tomorrow morning... Uh, there'll be somebody that will answer the phone. Well, no, Tuesday. Somebody will answer the phone, and we want to send to you some free material to give you a better understanding tomorrow of what you've done today. And then you need to tune in next week. So if you're here this morning, and this you we're talking to, when the service dismisses in just a minute, if you would come.